Well, for the past few weeks, we got into the section which we call salvation. And we said, when you think about salvation, it's that the real, the real word is reconciliation. That's what it's all about. The reconciliation is how God brings man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That's really the story of the Bible. And when we talked about the whole idea of God's three-phase plan of salvation, we said there was justification and sanctification and glorification. And that's, that's is a past tense aspect of salvation. This is a present tense aspect of salvation. This is a future tense. This is that we have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. Uh, the, the, the whole idea of Jesus Christ died and rose again, that takes care of that. The Holy Spirit is the power here. And Jesus Christ or, or the Father, whatever, coming to get us takes care of that. And so we, we spent a good bit of time looking at those. And I think it's very important. And when, that's why I wanted you to memorize Second Corinthians five seventeen through 21 because that is the story of the Bible. And when people are all mixed up and they start looking at the Bible, and you know most people look at the Bible, and, they, and truly, they say it's a big book. And it is. It's huge. And if you think about trying to know what's in here, you'd say there's no way a human being can know what's in here. Well, we can know the big stuff. We can know how it fits together. We can know the different books. We can know the flow. We can understand the Old Testament. We can understand the promises. We can understand how it comes through. We can see that Jesus is the central thing of, of the whole Bible, of every aspect. And we can see about the issue of salvation. We can see about the issue of the Christian life. We can, we, can, we can learn a lot of things. That doesn't mean we have to have memorized everything and know, you know, if somebody says Habakkuk, you may go, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about it. Or what about Isaiah? Well, I know some of Isaiah, but I don't know all of Isaiah. But it still means we can know a good bit of it and how it fits together and then know the principles and the truths. And so that's what we want to do. Well... As we, as we continue tonight, we're going to look... Let me just move this up a little bit. Yeah. We're going to look at two key things as we look through our study. We're going to do number one. We're going to look at the person and work of Christ. And that's not a lot of details. We're just going to hit on some things tonight as we think about the whole idea of what's going on, the person and the work of Christ. That's number one. And number two, we're going to look at the doctrinal terms connected with salvation. Now, I don't have a book in front of me, but is that is the blue page? Where is the blue page right there? The one right there? Is that the one that... Yeah. Okay. I think most of your books, the very page back in front of you is a blue page that says what? Salvation and key terms. And we're going to look at those... We're going we're gonna to talk about some of them tonight, and we'll, we'll be going down them over the rest of the, basically, the end of this semester and start of next semester. All of these terms will come into play. And if you look at those terms, I mean, they're, they're biblical terms, they're theological terms, and that we want to know those. So we're going to talk about some of that. We've already looked at some of them, and we'll see how it fits together. So let's, let's sort of review a little bit, because here's the key, and, and we're talking about reconciliation. And reconciliation, which is the story of the Bible, perfect God brings sinful man back to himself. The whole idea there is to, to bring together. The definition, and that's a good one, that's Adam quoted it a while ago, it's a change in relationship from hostility to harmony between two parties. That's what, it, that's what reconciliation is. And when we think about reconciliation in the Bible, in fact, we could put it this way, it's how the perfect God brings sinful man back into a relationship with himself or back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. So the story of the Bible is reconciliation. If you go back to the garden... And you have Adam and you could say Eve, and they're in this perfect fellowship with, with God and, and a relationship with God, and then they sinned. 
And the story of the Bible is how God is taking fallen man who have in the imputed sin of Adam and the nature to sin and the personal sins. And God says, I'm going to take man and I'm going to bring him back to myself. I'm going to get back where we can have fellowship and a relationship. And I'm going to use my son. That's how we're going to do it. That's how man is going to be reconciled. When people start talking about all the gods and all the ways to gods and all the religion and everything. Listen, there's only one thing. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him. He is the only way to be saved. He is the Savior. And so it's how the perfect God brings fallen man, sinful man, back to Himself. How? It's you, His Son, Jesus Christ. There is no other Savior. There's no other name given among men whereby we might be saved except the name Jesus Christ. That's why when people say Jesus is the name above all names, it is. Because it says that He is the name above all names, that the name of Jesus, every knee will what? Every knee will bow and every tongue will what? Confess or praise God that he is, he is God, He is the Lord, He is the Savior, He is everything. So, th- listen, when we start thinking about this, and I don't, I don't want us to, I know this is a class, and it is a class, and this is a Bible Institute, and so it is a lot of, you know, writing things down and studying and saying, I want to memorize and learn this, but we never want to get past what we're really talking about. We're talking about the reconciliation of how God does all this. And so this is, this is so great. If you remember, and, and um, we looked at Second Corinthians, I've got it right there for you. If you remember the, the, the three aspects there is that God did the reconciling. The reconciliation is to God, and it's through Christ. So you remember? God did the reconciling. It, it is God who came looking for man. It is not man looking for God. It is God who did the reconcili- uh, reconciling. The reconciliation is to God. It is God is bringing man to himself. It's not God coming to man. It's man coming back to God. And the way that God does it is through his son, Jesus Christ. I hope that none of us in this room ever get over that. That we, don't, that we get so excited about knowing what God has done. How he did the reconciling. It's, he's the one that, that did it all. That's why I always think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. And when they sinned, of course, her name wasn't Eve, and I, I know it. But it was Adam and Isha. It was the woman. They went and hid. And God was looking for them. They weren't looking for God. And whenever we sin, and when we come, come into this world dead in trespasses and sins, we're not really looking for God. And yet God is looking for us. It is God who so loved the world. It is God who sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world. It, it, is, it is that Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will do what? I will draw all people to me. So really, some really, really good stuff. So as we look at this, as we think about this, we're going to look at two things. We're going to see the person of Jesus Christ, his person and his work. In other words, who he is and what, what he's like and what he did. Now, this is, this is not... A lot of details because we're just touching on this because we really want to get a little further on into the study about the redemption and seeing some of those terms. But we need to stop for a minute and look at the person of Jesus Christ. So if you would, uh, let me let me do it this way. I think I got it. Let's go to John chapter 1. So everybody, if you would, turn in your books, uh, in your Bibles to John chapter 1. And most of us, I put 1 through 3. It'd probably be better if you put 1 through 4. There, I want us to think about who he is as we look through this. And I'll just put two things down, uh, A and B, and we'll see them here in just a second. But look at the, look at the first one. It says, in the, John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. What do we find out? What, what do we see about Jesus? Who is, what is He? 
He's God. He is. I mean, that, this, is, this is the most amazing thing because when you think about Christianity, when you think about the truth, you have God the Father and you have God the Son and you have God the Holy Spirit. And what is it's not three gods, it's one God and three persons. And so as we look at this, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it is true. The Word is the Son, Jesus Christ, and He's with the Father. He doesn't really mention the Spirit here, but He just says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He just wants us to understand that the Son is God in the same way that the Father is God. And so when we think about Jesus Christ, he is, he is God. He has always existed. He is the eternal God. And you can put whatever you want to down there. But in John 10.30, he says, I, I and the Father are one. I've had people say to me that Jesus never claimed to be God. If you've seen me, you've what? Seen the Father? I mean, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, you know, and so a lot of places Jesus talks about the fact that he is God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father and those things. So he's always existed. He's the eternal God. Uh, I think it's amazing to realize that someone who walked on this earth in a human body was the eternal God who's always existed. And he took, as it says in Philippians, he took the form of a person and then humbled himself to be what? Obedient to death, even the death of the cross. I don't think I don't think you can. I don't think we should get over that. Okay. So we see that He is God. The second thing we see is He's the Creator. Notice, look at that goes on to say, all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. I mean, all things came into being through Him, and that's why I love Colossians. It says, all things were created by Him, for Him, and through Him. That's Colossians one sixteen and seventeen. So He's the Creator. So when we think about what is He like, you know, what He's He's God, He's the Creator. If you go on down a little bit further, and I just don't have this here, but it says, in Him was life. He's the life giver. You know, I think that uh, when you ask people and you say, uh, God's the Creator, right? And you say, when did God create? And what do people say? When did God create? Huh? Huh? He still is. But most people would say, He created the heavens and the earth in six days and after that rested. But... He created every one of us in our mother's womb. Psalm 139 says he formed us in our mother's womb. He is the creator and he's the life giver. That's why I love it. It says, in him was life. And then it goes on and says, and the life was the light of men. And so in this one little section, we see that he's God. He's the creator. He's the life giver. He's the, the, the light of the world. I just didn't put all of that. But I just want you to see who he is. He is indeed the son of God. And, uh, you know, you may not realize this, but in Hebrew, the Hebrew mindset, to say you're the son of somebody means you're, the, you're just like them. That's why when they said, you've, you're a man and you've made yourself out to be God. Because he let people call him the son of God. You know, and he said, I forgive sins. And he said, you're saying you're God. Yeah, yeah, I am. That's who he is. And so when we think about who he is, that, that, that's, he's the creator, he's God, he's the son of God, he's the life, he's the light. And then let's talk about, at the same time, let's talk about the work of Christ. And that's John 1.14, and you notice it begins with, most of us know that the word in, in, in John 1, he has this, what we call prologue, and he says about the word, and the word, and the word. And then in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. His glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and 
truth. So the Word, uh, the work of Jesus Christ, is he became, he became a human being. He became a human being. God became a man. Now, you have to think about this. It is true that Jesus Christ is a man, but he's the God-man. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is our God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. He is man, but he's God, and there's nobody like him. There are all kind of people, and there's one God in three persons, but Jesus Christ is God-man. And there's nobody like him because he's the mediator. He's the one that can come and identify with man because he became a human being. But he's also the eternal God. And that's who he is. And so he became a human being. And why in the world would Jesus Christ become a human being? Galatians 4.4 4 says, In the fullness of time God brought forth his son born of a woman that he might redeem us. We're going to get to this later on. But that idea is he came uh, as the savior of the world. He came to die in our place. In fact, he was born at exactly the appointed time. In the fullness of time, God brought forth his son. Have you ever thought about it? What if, what if Jesus had not come until now? <clears throat> what, would, what would it be like? Or what if he had come at a different time? When I look at through a history, probably the best time that Jesus could have come would have been then. Now, we all say, well, today Jesus could come and he could talk and everybody in the world hear him at one time. It could. But that wasn't obviously wasn't the plan. But with you we all know that when you think about Jesus coming at the time of the Romans, that there was a thing called Pax Romanus, which means the peace of Rome. Rome had conquered most of the world. There's an old saying though what all roads lead to Rome is because they had this highway system, and they had a law system, and they had a language. That, I mean, they, they had the Greek and the Latin. And, the, and so when Jesus came it, to share the message, to go through what would be the known world, was probably the easiest at, up to that point in time in all of history. And that's why Galatians says, in the fullness of time, meaning at exactly the right time, God brought his son into the world. And, and we see it a little bit more. So he's the perfect one. First Peter 3.18, and I have that down for you. I think it says that he died for us. And then there it is, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. The just for the unjust to bring us to God. That's why he is the way and the truth and the life. That's why I love John 14, 6. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. The only way to get, the only way for man to get to God is through Jesus Christ. That's why the story of the Bible is so perfect when he says he's using his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ died, the just for the unjust. And that's First Peter three, eighteen. He became a person so he could die for us. He became our substitute. We're going to see as we go through a lot of those terms. Th this is why I love the terms. Let me, let me tell you this. I, when I first put this study together a long time ago, I didn't know whether, I thought, you know, should I put these terms in there? Should we do something? And then I realized that all these terms do is they tell you, they show you the picture of God's plan of salvation at different angles, at different ways. One way he looks at it as a substitute. One way he looks at it as a payment. One way he looks at it as, as, a, as a legal declaration. I mean, so at all these terms mean something, and they all go together, they're all biblical, and they all fit together. This is why I, I love the Bible, because it all fits together. Now, you, I've had people say, oh, the Bible, you can't make sense of it. Yes, you can. It's perfect. 
It fits together perfectly from the beginning of Adam and Eve and the fall all the way to Revelation where he says, come Lord, you know, come quickly and everything. And in the end, it all fits together perfectly. And if you, I mean, if you, if you really want to know the scripture, I'm just saying this in a nice way. You really want to know the scripture, you can know it. You, you have to study it. You have to study to show yourself approved to God. A word but need not be ashamed. Handling accurately the word of God. Rightly dividing the word of God. But you can know it. And you can know it. And, and you can have an understanding of it. And you can have confidence that you know the scripture. And that's what we want to do. So who is he? First of all, he became a human being. He was born at exactly the right time so he could die for us. And this is the story of the Bible, reconciliation. I have down for you there, it says, the plan of reconciliation, the salvation is both. It's both this. It's both simple. It's simple because Christ died for our sins and he rose again and whoever believes in him has eternal life. Right? Isn't that simple? You hear me step on Sunday morning, I'll say, you know, the good news is Jesus died and rose again, and whoever believes in him will never perish, but have what? Everlasting life. And we believe in Jesus Christ for what? What? Eternal life. Isn't that simple? It is so simple that any child can understand it. Listen, uh, any, any, anybody in here, y'all got, who's got children that are believers? you got children that are believers. When did they believe? Five years old, okay? My two girls, one Catherine, when she was six, trusted Christ. And then Sarah, when she was six, trusted Christ. They're three years apart. But they were six years old. Yours was five years old. Who else got kids that, that believe right now? How old, how old were they? Five. five. You know what people say? A five-year-old can't understand the Bible. They can understand this. They can understand that they need a Savior and that Jesus died for them, and if they'll believe in Him, He'll give them life forever. They may not even understand exactly what eternal life means. They may not understand all this, but they know that somehow Jesus will save them. Jesus will take them to heaven. Jesus will give them life forever. How simple is that? It, it is that simple. The old saying is, it's so simple that it's like a child waiting in a little bit of water. But there's a second aspect. It is so complex. That the perfect, righteous, eternal God became a man, took the sins of the entire world upon himself, and paid the penalty as our substitute. And then you could start saying that you could study the rest of your life and not put all this together. It's so simple, a child can understand it. It is so complex, meaning that there's just so deep, so much there. We're talking about a perfect, eternal God giving us information, and, and, and we'll spend the rest of our lives putting it together. Because if I started saying, what about propitiation? What about expiation? What about justification? What about redemption? What about? And we're all saying, well, I, I know those terms. I don't know exactly what they mean. Well, it, it may take us... Years to put it all together to understand how it fits together. Listen, I've studied the Bible. I've been here 35 or 36 years. I've been a pastor for, I think, 38 years or whatever it is. But let me tell you, I mean, I, I, there are things I understand now that I didn't used to understand. And yet, I still say, oh, there's so much I don't know. And let me tell you, you've heard me say this before. But if you said to me, how much of the Bible do you think you know? I feel like I'm on top of a mountain, and the mountain is the truths of the Word of God, and I got a spoon, and I got that much, and that's how much I know 
compared to what all is there because it's the eternal, perfect God. And to, to put all this together, listen, we're just now, I'm just now getting some of this and going, I think I see this, right? And so when we think about it, is it so simple that anyone can, can understand and believe in Jesus for eternal life? And yet it's so complex. We'll spend the rest of our lives studying it, digging it, looking at it. I mean, there are things that we got a group of guys that meet on Thursday morning. We get in here and we'll start talking about some subject, you know, and we'll start looking at it and we'll go, well, what about this? We'll go, I don't know, let's write this up there. What are you? And before you know it, we're talking about things and we're going, well, I don't know. Let's see if we can find something there. You know, it's just amazing. And yet, every one of us never say the message of the, of the gospel is so simple. Jesus died and rose again. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. So it's, it is so fantastic. So things like redemption, atonement, propitiation, justification, imputation, expiation, those are terms we're going to look at and we're going to see. And if you, if you, you don't, I don't want you to have to take the time, but let's, I think it's the top of the next page, let's look at some of the terms, some of the terms we have already seen, okay? Let's start with it. The first one is reconciliation, and that's the perfect God brings sinful man back into a relationship with himself through his son, Jesus Christ. You don't have, you've probably already written that two or three times, you don't have to write that there. You could put reconciliation as bringing back together. You could put reconciliation as a story of the Bible. You could write the perfect God brings sinful man. The idea is there. You need to know what reconciliation is. Because somebody could say, well, where is it in the Bible? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. God reconciled us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So the Bible's got reconciliation in it. In fact, that's the story of the Bible. The second word that I've got there for you is sin. Do you, anybody remember our definition of sin? First, Huh? We know that the, the Bible says sin is lawlessness. We talked about that is falling short of God's character and commands. It's when we, it's either rebellion or, uh, or just our failure in some way to fall short of God's character or commands. And, and you know, so that's what sin really is. And, I, you know, to be real honest with you, sin is selfishness. Sin is pride. I think, I think the sin, I think the underlying pr- or the overarching sin of all things is pride because it goes back to Satan and the fall because he wanted to be like God. It goes back to Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind there when they thought, well, you'll be like God and it was good for food and it would make you wise. And, you, and, and so I think it's the pride issue. And why would you lie? Pride. You don't want somebody to find out something about you. Or why would you, uh, why would you steal? Because you say, well, I, I think I deserve it. I don't know why. If they've got it, I want it. I mean, it all goes back. I think to almost every sin goes back to pride. So the third one is one we, we haven't really just talked about, but it's spiritual death and that separation from God. Let me erase this for a second. If you remember that when we talk about separation or spiritual separation we're talking about because we're dead in trespasses and sins and we don't have a relationship with God and so when we come into the world and we we've drawn this up a lot of different times we have a body and we have a soul and we have a conscience and we have a flesh that's what we are that's the unbeliever and we're separated from God because we're spiritually dead. There's no spirit there. We were, well, let's put it this way. Adam and Eve were spiritually alive. They were spiritually dead. And since we're in the likeness of Adam, we come into the world spiritually dead. And we know that when we believe in Jesus Christ and we say that now we become a believer, then we are, I always just write it as a human spirit, but we become spiritually alive. 
We're now alive spiritually. And then the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, which is really unusual. This is the only, the church age is the only age in which uh, that the Holy Spirit permanently indwells people. And but before we trust in Jesus, we're separated. We're spiritually separated. And we'd, we'd call it spiritually dead. We are dead. We're dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, We were dead in our trespasses and sins, spiritually dead. And we need to be spiritually alive. That's why the key term that people say is to be born again. We come into the world born physically alive, spiritually dead. We need to be born again, which is spiritually alive. So everyone in this room, you trusted Christ as Savior. You were dead in sin. Now you're alive in Christ. You're spiritually alive. And so you were spiritually dead. And now we're spiritually alive. With that in mind, let's look at a word which I, which I love and you're going to love too. And it's the word redemption. And Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, for, for all the sin falls short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And the reason why I give you these words is because these are theological, biblical words that you're going to find throughout the Bible. And if somebody came to you and said, what does redeem mean? What does redemption mean? We need to know what that is. And so it says we are saved as a gift, notice, as a gift by the redemption in Jesus Christ. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but being justified, that we're going to see that means to be declared righteous. We're justified as a gift, notice, as a gift, not our works, not what we do. We're just as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. So let's talk about, define redemption. What does it mean? Redemption means to purchase by paying a price. To purchase by paying a price. Now, I'm going to give you my age here. When I say give you my age, how many of you remember S&H green stamps? Anybody remember? Yeah, some of you. Yeah, none of the young people do, but the old people do. Okay, uh, older people. What 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 was that S&H green stamps? You'd go to the grocery market or go someplace, and you bought groceries, and then they so much groceries they gave you stamps, and you had these books, and you put stamps in the books. And then, if you, when you got enough books of stamps, you could buy things with them. And what was that store called that you'd go to? The Redemption Center, because you're going to redeem it. You got your, you got your stamps, and you redeemed it. I remember one time my mother bought a lamp, but one time my mother bought me a baseball glove. I mean, it wasn't a very good one, but it, but it was a baseball glove. But, I mean, so, so you, you redeemed it. So redemption means to purchase by paying a price. If you thought about this, if you went to the store and you got a can of coffee and you set up there and you said, I want to buy this coffee and you say it's $8.99, you give them $8.99, you just did what? You just redeemed that. You purchased it. So redemption means to purchase. And when we talk about redemption, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the purchase, which is in Christ Jesus. He purchased us by paying a price. What was the price? The wages of sin is what? Death. What's the price? Death. He died in, died in our place. Well, you're saved as a gift by redemption. Redemption means to purchase by paying a price. So when Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven to become a human being, he knew he's going to pay a price. What's the price? And, and what is death? It is separation. Who is Jesus going to be separated from? The Father and the Spirit, most likely. So that, that, that's powerful. So I want you to get this, that 
when we think about the Bible using the term redemption, you got to remember, when was this written? When was Romans written? I don't mean necessarily the exact date, because in the 50, it was in the 50s, A.D. 50. What's going on? Who's in, who's in charge of the world? Roman Empire is. Over half the Roman Empire were slaves. Were slaves. They had slave markets. If you were, if you were a free person and had money, you could go down to the slave market and say, there's a list of people up there. They're for sale. And you could say, I, I, how much is that one? I will redeem that slave. I'll purchase that slave. And so when you look in the Bible and he uses the term redemption, many people's mind would go straight to what? Slave markets. So when we look at this man, we're going to see that man is in the slave market of sin. We've all sinned in what? Come short of the glory of God. We owe God death. And so this is like the Roman slave market. And that's why it talks about that he who knew no sin to become sin for us. So here's what I want you to see. There are three, uh, three key aspects of redemption, okay? Here they are. Here's the first one. We are redeemed from the slave market. Just remember that. We're redeemed from the slave market. I don't know if I have that verse. Nope, let me give it back. Romans 3.24, being justified is a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 2.1 says, uh, says, but false prophets were among the people denying the master who bought them. Redemption. Now, uh, uh, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but you understand that Jesus Christ redeemed every human being. He bought them all. He bought unbelievers. He bought false prophets. He died on the cross and paid the penalty and purchased everybody. So we're redeemed what? From the slave market. Second, it is the price is the blood of the Lamb. First Peter 1.18, we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to, listen to this. I, Revelation 5.9 you know, a lot of times we don't think about going to the Revelation to find the, to the last book. Of finding, listen to this verse. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain, and you did purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. It says, Purchased with your blood. When we talk about the blood of Jesus Christ, we're talking about His shed blood as, as really the payment. We're redeemed from the slave market. The price is the blood, and we are set free to serve. What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You've been what? Anybody know? You've been bought with a price. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? You're not your own. That's what it says. You've been bought with your own. You're, you're, you've been bought with a price. You are not your own. Who do you belong to? Who purchased you? Who paid the price? Jesus Christ did. Who do you belong to? I mean, we act like we do our own thing. We say like, oh, I'm, I'm American. I'm free. Yeah, well, you're, you may be free here, but you belong to Jesus Christ. He purchased us. So when we think about this, we're redeemed from the slave market. The price is the blood of the Lamb, and we are set free to serve. Boy, it is, it is a powerful, powerful, powerful truth. And look right here. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we are to glorify God in our bodies. Wow. 
It's so powerful. Now, with that in mind, and we've got just a few minutes left, we might we we might get out early, or we might just keep going. But it, I want to I want to show you something from the Bible that you're going to love because look at what this says: We're redeemed from the slave market. The price is the blood of the Lamb, and we're set free to serve. And so, when you look in the Scripture, if I said redemption, anybody living at the time that Paul wrote this, and he thought redemption they would think purchasing and they'd most likely think of purchasing slaves because half the half the half the half the roman world was was slaves and so i want to show you if you go to the last page i've got there's three greek words that are found in our bibles in our new testament and they all mean redeem, but they all have a little nuance to them. And I want you to, to see this, and so I think you'll like it. Here's the first one. I got it for you. The three Greek words for redeem. The first one is agorazo, okay? We get agora from it. Agora is the marketplace. Agorazo, the Greek word means to purchase or to buy in the market. It's like you go to the market and you buy something. Let's say that we're going to use this term and we're going to go to the slave market and we're going to buy something. That's what it really boils down to. And, and when you think about uh, different verses, look, here, here's one. Look at this. This will surprise you. But false, false prophets, this is not showing up there. I, don't, I guess it doesn't, well, it's not even doing it at all. Okay, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. This word bought there is agarazzo, which means to purchase. What is he saying? What is Peter saying? Peter is saying that the master, Jesus Christ, bought who? And in this, in this particular passage, it's who? False teachers who bring in destructive heresies. And he bought them. He purchased them in the market. So I want you to think about that. That is a powerful, powerful, powerful statement. Uh, bought, us out of the slave, bought, bought people out of the slave market. That's what it is. All right, here's the second word. Are you ready for this one? It's ex agarazzo. So all you got, I've got it there for you. This has an ek on the front. In Greek, the word ek is out of. The word ex adus. The Greek word is ek out of. Adas is the word way. So the book Exodus, even though it's an Old Testament book, it's got a Greek name. It's Exodus, which means the way out, out of. And so, ex agarazzo, what do you think it means? If agarazzo means to buy in the market, what does ex agarazzo mean? To buy out of the market. There it is. Oh, I had it up there. I didn't know. Y'all are smarter than I thought. Okay, to purchase and to take out of the market. That's what this word means. Look at this right here. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, curse of everyone who hangs on the tree. The word redeemed there is the word ex agarazzo. Christ redeemed us, purchased us, and took us out, basically purchased us and took us out from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? It, exactly. What does the law say? The soul that sins shall... Die. The wages of sin is the curse of the law. In fact, the curse of the law was that cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. Exactly. Who hung on the tree? 
Jesus. He was cursed for us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become what? A curse for us. Do you understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he's on the tree. He's taken the curse. The curse for us. He purchased us. He says, you're not going to take the curse. I'm taking the curse. I'm buying you. I'm buying you out of this thing. I'm taking you in the slave market, and I'm buying you, and I'm pulling you out of the slave market. He didn't even know you were in the slave market. Although, Lyle says that when you continue to sin, you're a slave of what? You're a slave of sin. Okay, so this is ex agarazzo. Now, we're not through. we got one more. And you're going to love the last one. The last word is latruao. That's how you say it. It's L-U-T-R. And then it's a, you can't show it, show it here, but it's a short O and a long O in Greek. So it would be A-O. Uh, like Omega. All the, all the people who know um, all the sorority stuff and fraternity stuff, like Chi Omega. Omega is the last O there, but the one right before that is a little bit different. This thing is, this thing is a oh, it's going to go out, y'all. It had a full thing of batteries, and now it's out. Maybe we can get through. I think we can. It's blinking. So uh, this is to purchase and set free. Watch. He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and the word redeem there means to purchase. To purchase and set free, set free for himself. And though it's a powerful, a powerful actual word that, that uh, means to redeem. Let me, let me go back here. So, Latruo, Latruo, you can say it either way. But it's to buy and to purchase and to set free for himself. Now, let me, let me give you the summary and I hope we can get it before this battery goes all the way out. First of all, people are redeemed from the slave market of sin. People are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and people are redeemed to freedom to serve. Now look, that's what I have under that summary. So people are redeemed from what? From the slave market. That's who you are. Slaves of sin. You're dead in trespasses and sin. You're under the curse. The curse of the law says, if you sin, you die. And he redeemed you from the slave market. He redeemed you from the curse. He redeemed you not only from the market, but he took you out of the market. And he took you out of the market to set you free to do what? To serve. Now, when he says set you free to serve, uh, he didn't mean set you free from him. You still belong to him. I remember hearing a story of, of, uh, I read this, and I don't know how true it is, but it was supposed to be true, about uh, in the United States back when there was the slavery and they had slave markets and people would go buy people. There was a story of a man who went and he, he saw a, a girl uh, and he decided to buy her. And he bought her and, you know, she was, she was, first of all, never happy about any of this. And so he purchases her and he brings her with him and he gets her to his wagon and everything. And he says, now, the reason I bought you was to set you free. And she said, uh, like she didn't believe it. And he said, no, no, you're not, I'm setting you free. You're a free person. I purchased you and set you free. What God says to us is, I purchased you and set you free to serve me. Because before he purchased us, we were dead in sins. Could we serve God? 
Not really. I mean, no, no, not really. I mean, we might think we'd do something good for God, but remember, it's all filthy rags and anything. And now he says, I've purchased you by my blood, and I've set you free to serve me. So you've got agarazzo, which is to purchase in the slave market. You've got ex agarazzo, which means to purchase and take out of the slave market. And you've got lutruo, which means to purchase and set free to serve. And that's who we are. We're redeemed from the slave market by the blood of the Lamb set free to serve. So it's really, really, really powerful. And so there, for Christ died for sin once for all. This is the memory verses. Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, that he'd bring us to God, having put to death the flesh, made alive in spirit. I just want you to remember that one. And the other one is, and, and you can look them up, but don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you, whom you have from God? That you're not your own. How come you're not your own? Because what does it say? You're not your own, for you have been bought with a price. What's the price? The blood of Jesus Christ. Remember, we're in the slave market. We're purchased by the blood. We're purchased to set free. So some some really, really good stuff. That's, I'll just, we'll go over this in just a second. I'd rather go over the quiz my way rather than this. So it, it, is this unbelievable? You're redeemed. You're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He purchased you in the slave market, brought you out of the slave market, and set you free to serve him. Aren't we glad of the redemption that is in Jesus Christ?